are so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatments of animals. I mean, the less we eat, the less violence is being done, and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats, and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to the Animal Voices radio show, Canada's only radio show and podcast on compassionate living and animal advocacy. This is 100.5 CFRO Co-op Radio in Vancouver, Canada, Friday, May 3rd, 2019. For the next hour, I'm your host, Jen, and I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Alison Cole. Hi there. And today's show is an opportunity to give a voice to the animal rights activists and an undercover investigator who attended a demonstration on the weekend called Meet the Victims. This is a demonstration which has occurred around the world, such as the UK, Spain, Australia, and Texas, where animal rights activists trespass and gain entry into slaughterhouses or factory farms to document and live stream the conditions inside. Very powerful event. And so last Sunday's event took place at Excelsior Hog Farm in Abbotsford in response to a recent undercover investigation that was exposed in mainstream media. The activists shot video footage of horrifically inhumane living conditions at the farm. And last Sunday, 200 animal rights activists including Allison and myself, showed up to peacefully protest while 50 of the activists gained access to the warehouses that held the pigs. And I'm saying warehouses because this is nothing like a farm. Uh, And so, Allison, you were one of the inside team. I was on the outside team. Your story is much more compelling. Let's hear what you have to say. Right. I want to just give a full description of what happened when I was there. And I took video of everything, too, if anyone is interested in looking at our video live stream on our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver on Facebook. So there were, uh, as you said, a group of 200 of us concerned citizens who arrived at the Excelsior Hog Farm just after 6 a.m. last Sunday morning, April the 28th. 65 of us who were all suited up in biosecurity wear entered the property of the Excelsior Pig Farm. And as I mentioned, I was uh, taking a live stream video at this time. I documented everything I saw, as did many others. Shortly after walking onto the property, it was quite a ways to uh, to get into the barn. So we quickly started to run because we knew that the pig farm was aware that something was going to be happening. We ran and ran towards the barns, crossing the line of the biosecurity hazard zone, at which point there was a row of four garbage dumpsters all filled with dead pigs. A horrendous sight to see those multiple bodies piled in, lying upside down in every which way, surely having died a horrible death. There was a lot of blood on them too. Yeah, that's what I mean by the horrible death. It didn't look like it it was a happy ending. We quickly got into the alleyway of the barn and found an unlocked door and pried it open. We put on our biosecurity booties and then proceeded to enter the farm over a pig gate, one by one. We were wearing desk masks for protection and it was really needed for the smell. The burning, obtuse odor of strong dank ammonia from the thousands of pigs urine inside permeated the property but the stench was especially inside the barn it was hard to breathe in this what i experienced next felt like i was in a horror movie a house of horrors in fact we had entered into an area of the building loaded with hundreds and hundreds of piglets it was dark with some low light and we walked down the aisle with all senses turned on not knowing what we would see or experience each second next we passed by pens and pens of piglets maybe a few months old, gated in like prisoners because, in fact, they were kept like prison. 
it was so sad to see them kept like this and this entirely unnatural and human-controlled environment separated from their mothers. We turned left and came down a hallway arranged with a number of small cages with heat lamps, which were for the tiniest piglets, I learned later, who needed the special quarters to survive. The farmer was in the hallway yelling at us for coming onto his property and filming us. We filmed him. We then turned right and came upon a gigantic room that was the gestation area filled with row upon row of narrow cages only as wide and as long as a mother pig. I counted about 55 lined up cages per aisle. So about 200 mother pigs were kept in this room, which again resembled a prison camp. There was one mother pig per stall. Most of them spray painted on their back with strikes, numbers, and letters in bright pink, green, blue, and purple spray paint. The pigs were mostly all standing, and as the metal cages were only as wide as their bodies, they were unable to turn around and forced to defecate and urinate right where they stood. The floors were made of wooden slats with narrow gaps for the waste to fall through. But of course, it doesn't all go through perfectly, and that's why this place stunk terribly it was filthy and it was certainly an area where a living breathing being could gain a respiratory disease the pigs all had numbers tagged into their ears they don't have names they are simply identified as numbers as we were walking down the aisle i came upon the rear side of a pig who had a baby crowning out of her except upon looking further you could see that this baby was not developed she was struggling to push out the baby standing up and we could not do anything to help her A few minutes later, I looked back to see that she was now lying on the floor and had just had a miscarriage with the partially developed fetus, a mass of muscle tissue, bones and skin lying behind her in a puddle of afterbirth. She couldn't turn around to see her fetus. The mother continued to have contractions in the hours that we occupied this place. And yes, we did try to get her help, but to no avail. We occupied this room for about four hours, sitting face to face with the pigs in their metal cages. Many were exhibiting signs of stereotypy, which is the persistent mechanical repetition of movement. Some were compulsively biting on their bars, licking fiercely in their troughs when there was no water in there for hours and chewing repetitively repetitively on nothing, frothing at the mouths. This place was dirty. The animals' multiple wounds were not being cared for, and they were stacked there row by row like a prison camp. Directly on the outside of the barn, 15 of our inside team actually did not make it in, and it was at this point that the farmers became aware of our break-in entry. We have an activist, Roy, who was part of that group and will tell us what happened there. The farm workers did notice us eventually and came barreling down with the truck. Heading top speed really in a really narrow pathway, they jumped out of the truck initially, although the inside team uh, quickly set themselves up in the area with the gestation crates and refused to leave until media were allowed to come inside and tour the facility. And the media was called ahead of time by the activists so that that could be a plan that would be implemented if the farmers would agree to it, correct? That's correct. The media was there and they knew that something was going to be happening. They were quite interested in that, especially knowing the numbers of people who would be there. We knew that we were going to ask for them to be let inside, but we were definitely not expecting the farm to agree to that. That was surprising. And you mentioned that some activists were assaulted. Can you elaborate on what happened? 
Well, one was pulled, I believe, by the hair trying to enter the building. Another one was uh, shoved into a wall near that same entrance. I was lightly assaulted myself trying to enter in a different area. And maybe most, I guess, dramatically, several activists were sprayed down as they were walking along the side of the building near a field. They were sprayed down by a, a, what appeared to be a water or fertilizer truck. And so Ray Benendick, one of the brothers who operates Excelsior Pig Farm, said that the PETA video that was shot in secret by someone trespassing at night, he believes some of the images in that were staged. And I'm just going to quote what he said. Some of those pictures could not have been from our farm. We're not sure. I find it's very hard when someone puts out information that's incorrect about how we do things here as a family farm. And it's very disturbing to see what traction this gets in the media for people that are implicating us as criminals. And his brother, Jeff Benendek, said that the farm is, quote, clean. And if they did not take proper care of every pig, it would not still be operating. And you and I know as activists, this is something that we hear quite often from farmers, that if they didn't take care of their animals, they wouldn't still be in operation. And to further quote Jeff Benendick, he said, we're more scared about the safety of our pigs and what kinds of diseases protesters are bringing in after all of this is done and what's going to happen to our herd. And I know that you are all wearing basically like hazmat suits with booties and masks and everything. And so for, for me to hear him say that, I find that questionable, that he actually is truly concerned about that. And again, they, they're also basically saying that the pictures were staged and they believe the pictures couldn't have been from their farm. So what would you say to that? Well, I'm going to uh, give them the benefit of the doubt and say that must be a misquote of some sort. I noticed that uh, the next sentence was, uh, I think, I, I don't know, um, maybe the continuing that thought where he maybe he was speculating about that because I can guarantee that every single image in that video was from Excelsior. And I don't think he'd be foolish enough to simply lie about that. If he didn't take a close enough look at the footage, I could see he might say that, well, that, maybe that's not here. We don't know. Uh, that's, that's probably the, the most doubt he could cast. But if he looks closely enough and if the media does as well, especially compared with the images they got inside from the tour, it should be pretty easy to, to see that every image is 100% confirmed to be from that facility, or at the very least, that it's very implausible that any of it was from anywhere else. But I personally can guarantee that it all was. Let's talk about the fact that they think these images were possibly staged. What would that even mean? I mean, how, how do you stage an animal that is in rough shape as an activist? Given the benefit of the doubt, maybe that's some kind of misquote or, or something. What would they mean? I must, Maybe it's a, some kind of talking point that uh, might make sense in some other context. But in this case, if they, if they actually meant it, I suppose you're talking about basically bringing in cobwebs and dirt and sprinkling the entire facility, finding corpses and letting them rot for weeks on end and then bringing them in, feeding them to the live animals in there. It could mean finding some way to injure every single animal that's in there. Uh, you know, I just don't know what they could be getting at, really, mm -hmm. unless they're getting it saying that we did something like that. And I just want to talk about Dr. Josh Waddington, the veterinarian who says that he visits Excelsior every three months and said that the PETA video was meant to show the farm in, quote, the worst light and that he is proud of the care the animals receive at Excelsior. And furthermore, after watching the video, he said he spoke with the operators about removing some of the animals from their pens sooner, but he added that, quote, those things happen, and that this farm is very well recognized in their ability and their level of care and attention to welfare, and that they have been industry leaders. And so what would you say to that? 
I don't doubt that at all. At all. They are, I'm sure, industry leaders. The owner is a director on the BC Port Producers Association, and I'm sure they do a very good job of preparing for their quarterly inspection. I'm also sure they did a very good job preparing for the SBCA investigation that was pending last week, I'm sure. I, I think they knew that activists would be coming, and they were prepared for that. What we saw in there on Sunday was maybe the best pig farm in Canada uh, at its highest, highest standard. It, it, was pro- it was probably the best pig farm in the world, and yet... You look at the condition of the pigs, you look at their behavior and just how much of a nightmare uh, horror show it is inside that facility. I hate to see what it looks like when you go to an average or a below average place when they're not at their best. Mm-hmm. Apparently, CTV News quoted the veterinarians who were at the farm on Sunday stating that the Benedict family is following industry rules and regulations and taking good care of the animals. And Dr. Waddington also was quoted as saying, my analogy is that it would be like walking into a hospital and taking pictures in the emergency room and saying that's representative of the population in general. And I'm sure you've read these quotes as well. And so just want to give you an opportunity to comment on that also. I feel it's kind of interesting because as far as I know, if you uh, walk through an emergency room, uh, none of those people are scheduled to go get their throats slit. <laughs> Yeah. And now I went to the page for the College of Veterinarians and Surgeons, and I just found their oath. And I'm just going to read that out because I find that that is sort of contradictory to what we tend to see in these situations when vets come in and say that everything looks good. And so the the oath is, as a member of the veterinary medical profession, I solemnly swear that I will use my scientific knowledge and skills for the benefit of society. I will strive to promote animal health and welfare, prevent and relieve animal suffering, protect the health of the public and the environment, and advance comparative medical knowledge. I will perform my professional duties conscientiously, with dignity, and in keeping with the principles of veterinary medical ethics. I will strive continuously to improve my professional knowledge and competence and to maintain the highest professional and ethical standards for myself and the profession. And so... From your experience, what you've seen on that farm and hearing what the vet has said about it, do you feel that this oath is being enacted? Well, a lot of it is kind of vague to me, and there might be some lingo in there that uh, I'm not picking up on. But the one thing that really sticks out is that they basically promise to prevent and relieve animal suffering. And to that, I can say clearly in this one experience that they had zero interest in that. The men, uh, at least identified by the police as a veterinarian, uh, we actually left the gestation crate area. We're, we're just begging for a couple of the animals to get immediate care. We left that room as part of our uh, side of the agreement to get immediate veterinary care. These men walked through very, very briefly. I don't even know if they stopped for those two. And they, uh, as far as we know, they, they never went back in, at least while we were there. And so just before I let you go here, is there anything else that you'd like the public to know from your experience being inside the farm that perhaps they may not be aware of? Well, what the public needs to think about is, and I can't hammer this home enough, we went in there to see what the best of the best can do when they have notice and they're prepared and expecting to be seen. Now, if you really want to see the truth, then for the time being, the only way that you can get an unannounced inspection is is if it's done unlawfully. And that's kind of what we saw with the video that was released previously. The truth, what you get when they're not expecting you. 
And we also have to keep in mind that not every facility is owned by someone on the association, the board of directors, or an association that's supposed to be making sure these, these facilities are being run, quote, properly, unquote. I would expect that uh, they would be even worse on a regular, regular day or a regular night. Okay, well, thank you so much for offering your perspective, and I wish you all the best. Thank you. We're speaking with one of the animal rights activists who took video footage at Excelsior Farm, which was later released by CTV News. Ray Benendick, one of the brothers who operates the farm, said that the video was shot in secret by someone trespassing at night, and he believes that some of the images may have been staged. He said, quote, Some of those pictures could not have been from our farm. We're not sure. I find it's very hard when someone puts out information about how we do things here as a family, and it's very disturbing to see what traction this gets in the media. People are implicating us as criminals. How do you respond to this? I mean, this just shows that he and uh, his, his brothers and the industry as a whole are in damage control mode. They know, they can verify that virtually all the footage was shot at their farm. They, they know that. They can verify that. And, I mean, I, I would also point out that his, like, his referencing to it was shot in secret at night, this just demonstrates how the industry operates in secrecy and how this is the only way the public is ever able to see what really happens behind the closed doors of modern animal agriculture. And as we saw at the Meet the Victims event, a lot of activists were live streaming from the farm, and the conditions really were were very similar. Yeah, I mean, his, his defense is, at this point, it's irrelevant, because, as you say, yeah, so many people were on the farm last Sunday. It's contemporary. The location is indisputable. And this is even after the original footage was released and the BCSBCA announced that they were doing going to do an investigation so they had plenty of time to clean up their act and despite that it was still horrendous the situation the condition these animals were living in and can you explain that for maybe our listeners who haven't seen it yeah so like the standard practice for example like uh mother pigs living in gestation crates and for those who don't know a gestation crate is a cage the size of the pig's body like the pig is unable to turn around. They're, they're left facing forward for about four months, the gestation period, looking at the wall for four months or whatever happens to be in front of them. And, I mean, in addition to that, like, the pigs were, had all kinds of cuts and scratches. One of the pigs was lying in a pool of her own blood and, like, large gashes, like face completely bruised up. It, it was horrendous. And well, I saw that image of the pig and, and a video that a friend of mine took who was actually sitting right in front of her. And it led me to wonder how those bruises and gashes could have gotten there. And of course, we can only speculate. But what what would you guess? Yeah, we can only, we can only speculate. I can't imagine they were self-inflicted. I would be very curious to know how, how that pig ended up in that condition. I would speculate that it, w- it would have been from a worker who is perhaps frustrated. And this is one of the things that happens to people who work, uh, work on farms. You get, they get desensitized to the suffering these animals are enduring. And they're, like, they don't register the suffering. And doing something, treating an animal, abusing an animal, 
it doesn't register to, the, to someone who's been desensitized the way it would to the average person who doesn't have a damaged psyche in this way. Right. Well, last Sunday when I attended the Meet the Victims demonstration at the farm, I was on the outside team, and I ended up speaking with some of the friends of the Benedict family who operate Excelsior Farm. Uh, I appreciated that they were speaking with me, and we had a civil conversation. And, and I actually did want the opportunity to hear their side. And they basically said that the activists who broke into the farm that morning were causing fear in the children of the farmers on that farm, and and that they would be having nightmares that night, and that that wasn't fair of us. And also that breaking the law and entering someone else's private property is not the way to go about obtaining our goal. And then that was followed up with, I should contact, we should contact the pork board and ask for more humane treatment of animals. And I thought, how are you missing our message? Our message is abolitionism, not welfareism. We are not looking for a better way to raise and kill these pigs. We want people to go vegan. But, I mean, can I just get your comment on on what he said about the fear that we would be putting into the children and, and how unfair it was that the activists chose to break and enter onto the farm? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a pure ploy. Like, if he is concerned about subjecting his kids to scary events, like, just what to clarify, of- sorry, I didn't mean to make it sound like I spoke with the father. It was a friend of the family, so he was speaking about his friend's kids, the Benedict's children. Okay, so uh, I guess I would address address this individual who, who made the statement. But he, if he's concerned about kids having nightmares, he should be concerned about what is happening in the farm. What is happening in the farm, that is the material of horror films. That's the material of nightmares. Like, on these farms... It is legal, standard practice to pick up screaming piglets, cut off their tails, cut out their testicles, cut off pieces of these pigs' ears, all without painkillers. Practices like these can be described as nothing other than torture. If he's concerned about subjecting his kids to scary material, like what's happening in his farm is far more horrific than the idea of of somebody just documenting the conditions on his farm. And I personally would go one step further and say that it's I would consider it child abuse to desensitize children to that kind of animal abuse. Yeah, I mean they're they're victims of the scenario that they're living in. They're they're being desensitized to animal suffering and it's not healthy for well anyone's psyche but especially a developing child. Mm-hmm. I mean, we always teach children to love animals, and most children's stories are about animals. It's quite ironic. Mm-hmm. Well, farmers were complaining that day that the activists were stressing out the pigs by being there and also potentially exposing the pigs to disease. Uh, I, I had to laugh at the video of the farmers faking outrage. It, it couldn't have been more fake-looking to me and the victimization that they put on. Anyway, the activists were wearing bio suits, gloves and masks, and they put booties on just prior to entering the farm. And from what I saw, they were much more covered up than the farmers were, or even the media who were eventually let in at the demands of the activists. And I saw images and videos of pigs lying in their own blood and excrement, stillborn babies dropping onto the floors of gestation crates, which were covered in feces. So I find his concerns to be disingenuous and hard to believe. What do you want to say about that? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's exactly as you say. Everyone who entered the farm was taking far greater biosecurity precautions 
than the farmers were. And in addition to that, they invited other farmers over from all over the community onto the farm who were not taking biosecurity measures. They were just walking on in their shorts and t-shirts and their shoes. These people who are coming, they invited onto the farm, they are coming from other farms. This is a biosecurity risk. You don't want to risk cross-contaminating potentially potential diseases that are on some farms to another. All of the people who showed up to the farm, they're not coming from farms that are potentially harboring diseases. So, I mean, it's a joke. And in response to their statements about stressing the animals out by being in the farm, anyone who looks at the footage can see that these intelligent animals trapped in gestation crates, they're bored out of their minds. They're depressed. Just look, just look at the footage and they're, they're just lying there, just, just staring at, at whatever happens to be in front of them. And if he is really concerned about animals being stressed, how stressful is it to have your body parts cut off with no painkillers? If he, if he or any of the farmers are concerned about stress, they would not be doing those things to animals. That's a very good point. I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, in another discussion with a friend of the farmer the day of the demonstration, I asked, how would you like to be in the position of these pigs? Would you do this to your children or to your pets? Would you put them in these living conditions? And his argument was, which I've heard before, because the animals don't have souls, it would be a different experience for them to be in this condition. They would not be experiencing pain or emotional suffering the same way that we would. And I'm sure as an activist, you've also heard this excuse before. What, how can you even possibly try to reason with somebody who firmly believes this or maybe is pretending to believe this? I don't really know. Well, yeah, if I was having this conversation, I'd point out that anybody with an elementary school understanding of biology gets that animals, although different in many ways, uh, like pigs are different in many ways than human beings, at the very least in their capacity to suffer, they experience pain the same way humans do, dogs do, cats do, dolphins do. You have to deny the most basic of biology to make such claims. And I would say it's not even just biology. I would say the law also disagrees with his view. If we were to do half of what is legal to do to pigs, if we were to do those things to a dog or a cat, the perpetrator would be facing jail time for doing such cruel things to a dog or a cat. And it's a shame that the laws that protect animals like dogs and cats do not apply to animals under the care of the animal agriculture industry. Well, I definitely got the feeling after speaking to a few of the farmers there that they were religious. And I don't mean this to pick on religious people, but in my experience as an animal rights activist, it is a population of people that I spend the least amount of time on trying to convince, not only because I'm quite ignorant about the religious texts and the excuses that they will pull from them to use to justify their use and exploitation of animals, but also because I find it is very difficult to change their minds, and I truly think that they see animals as, as different than us, as we just discussed. And what is your, I guess, message to these people? I would, I would say that anyone who makes such claims that their their God allows for this thing, I would say 
I would say that should be offensive to anybody who believes in that God. They're saying that their God is totally fine with subjecting his supposed creatures to such extreme suffering. Most religious people that I have spoken with, they consider their God to be an all-loving, kind, benevolent God. And you just need to ask yourself the question, what kind of acts, like, who is this, like, is cutting off the limbs of living, feeling, sentient creatures, is that the act of an all-loving God, or is that the act of the devil? I would say that's more descriptive of what the devil would do. And you just ask yourself the question, why would God give these animals the capacity to feel pain? Why would he give mother pigs the desire to sunbathe, to root through the grass, to care for and nurture their offspring, only for humans to come and confine these animals and frustrate these desires? It just doesn't make any sense. That's a perfect answer. I think I'll try to memorize that one. Well, animal rights activists are constantly being told that we should be doing things differently and we should be doing this in a more humane way, talking to us as though we are the ones who are being inhumane, getting onto people's land and protesting and, as they say, telling other people how to live their lives. And what do you say to these people who, even in the media right now, in all the debate threads as this story has been circulating on social media, people who are criticizing our tactics constantly, no matter what we do? I would say, take a look at history. This is how this is how all kinds of social justice movements have progressed in the past. I mean, you look at history, it was the people who were hiding Jews during the Holocaust. Those were the people breaking the law and the people who were executing them. Those were the people following the law. The law does not run parallel with uh, with justice or what is right. And as uh, the slogan on the shirt that the activists were wearing said, there is a moral obligation to break unjust laws. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you especially for what you have done to bring what happens in darkness to the light. Absolutely. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. You are listening to Animal Voices on Vancouver's Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM CFRO, 100% listener-sponsored radio broadcasting live from the east side on unceded Coast Salish territories. listening to Vancouver Co-op Radio 100.5 CFRO. We are a non-commercial station bringing you voices and stories and perspectives you probably won't hear elsewhere. We are supported by members and by donations. You can become a member by going to our website at www.coopradio.org. If you like what you hear but don't want to be a member, that's cool too. You can still help by clicking on the donate arrow at the top right of the website. Club Radio thanks you for listening and for helping build our community of listeners and programmers. Let's hear from one of the activists who attended last weekend's event, Dan Moskaluk, 
a recently retired RCMP officer. And so I think many people would be surprised to hear that you have involved yourself in animal rights activism, and especially last weekend's action, where activists were knowingly breaking the law, although you yourself chose to remain outside the property and legally peacefully protested. Many people have criticized the tactics of activists breaking and entering onto private property to expose this pig farm, saying that they should not have broken the law. And so what do you have to say to that? Uh, good morning, uh, Jen, and thank you for the time. It's an interesting question uh, with respect to, I, I, I guess, um, the, the criticism that we're taking are obviously going to be, ex they're, they're expected. But I guess uh, as the quote that we even had on our T-shirt there by Martin Luther King, uh, with respect to, uh, you know, we have a moral obligation to uh, consider contravening or, or breaking unjust laws. And uh, in fact, with, with respect to the animal agriculture system, that's the problem. There, there's, there's, there, there are no laws in place and there's no rights for these animals. So each individual uh, who, uh, who participates in, in, in forms of activism, and that, that, uh, you know, that's uh, not, uh, regardless of what the movement is, but people have to make this personal decision as to their conviction and commitment to uh, trying to make change. We've seen everything from, from uh, you know, Green Party Elizabeth May, uh, not long ago, the pipeline protests uh, contravening uh, a court injunction. We have private concerned citizens here, as we did at the Meet the Victims Canada event here uh, on Sunday that uh, went on to the property. I think what's important too is that, there, you know, there's a, you know, allegations of break and enter, and, and we look at uh, what the elements of uh, the offense are, break and enter, and, um, a certain degree of, of um, evidence to say that yes, they, they broke into a property and in a building, but not really up to the police uh, themselves to be recommending or approving or so on and so forth. Charges that's up to the courts, but people are going to look at you know making that that, that demonstration to do that, and changes are not going to happen. And the problem with us, with that, the problem that we face in this day and age, is that we gladly not have to do what we're doing right now if there was full transparency in this industry. As we've seen for decades now, the animal agriculture industry has been operating in, in total secrecy for decades. They will go at great measures to hide the truths from the public. They have a lot of money for marketing campaigns and, and you know, creating information that goes out to the public to appease the public and, and to letting them believe that, uh, that there, there is justification for killing animals when really there's not, and we know that now. So as you know, Dan, some of the activists who went onto the farm were intentionally drenched with an unknown liquid substance from a farm vehicle, which appeared to be a liquid manure sprayer, which is commonly found on farms. The liquid drenched their clothing, went into their eyes and mouths. And we don't know what the liquid was, but one activist that I spoke with said it had a sweet taste and left her skin with a burning rash. Activists were also assaulted by someone on the farm as the activists attempted to gain illegal entry into the barn and from your perspective as a former RCMP member, would it be appropriate for an officer in that instance to investigate any concerns brought forward by the activists being assaulted? Or does the fact that the activists entered private property justify those actions as self-defense, even though the activists were not engaging in violent or physically threatening behavior and were verbally saying we are peaceful? So uh, I guess I'll break that question up into two parts. Firstly, you know, it, it, under the criminal code, there's section 41 sub 1 and sub 2 is defensive house of real property, 40 and 41. So everyone who is in peaceable possession of a dwelling house or a real property and everyone lawfully assisting him or acting under his authority is justified in using force to prevent anyone 
any person from mm-hmm. trespassing on the dwelling house or real property or to remove trespassers therefrom if he uses no more force than necessary. So that is the, that's kind of a subjective test that begs to be answered. I guess we'll, we have two incidences or some allegations. I think the, the most glaring one as to not only whether it was reasonable force, but was it, you know, was it humane and, uh, and, and or, or was it just something totally degrading? And that I'm, I'm referring to this instance where, uh, if you can picture this, that uh, what it, when the uh, activists referred to this, this farm vehicle spraying them, everybody who lives down lower mainland in this area have seen the large, large float tire tractors that pull those large tanks that look like septic tanks or so on that uh, spray uh, spray the manure onto the fields. So what had happened was as the the, uh, the inside team was up along that building, they saw this large tractor approaching them at, at, on the field, but right beside the building at quite a high speed. And they all looked up and said, okay, what's going on here? He comes. And then their driver activated the sprayer and doused them with this liquid that now one of uh, at least one of, of the uh, concerned citizens, the uh, the, uh, the inside team, is you know they, they suffered from skin burns and this sweet smell, and so a was it a dangerous thing for them to do? B was that not very degrading, and uh, was it uh, you know a reasonable use of force? Now, if we look historically back in 2013, this was an interesting uh, incident that kind of has some parallels to this one here. In 2013, the city of Abbotsford took it upon themselves in their bylaw office to spread chicken manure on a homeless camp that was unoccupied to detract the homeless people from coming back to the, to, the, to the camp. That resulted in a lawsuit against the city of Abbotsford. They were chastised for it. They apologized publicly, and there was a lot of public outroar. So in this case here, we fast forward to this event, this action here, and, and yes, the Individuals are now looking at uh, the consequences, the uh, legal consequences of their actions. But when we get back to defending one's real, real property, you know, was it was it uh, you know an appropriate amount or a reasonable amount of force to do what it and and you know was it just not something totally degrading and was it dangerous for their health? Um, so that is the the one issue there. Now there was a second uh, incident that. Um, looks at, uh, okay, the, the, the force that was used by the farmers and the staff, and that being, again, there's video footage of this, is when uh, the uh, part of the inside group uh, had uh, attempted uh, to gain entry through one of the side doors. Uh, they are seen hunkered down, again, to paint you this picture, they're seen hunkered down by the building, and two vehicles, uh, pickup trucks, come roaring down you know, this paved area that's between two of, uh, of the, the pig barns at a very, very high rate of speed and um, at, uh, you know, such a rate that it really scared the individuals. They thought they were going to be run down and they immediately just <coughs> essentially just, you know, placed themselves up against the wall as, as much as they could and behind the door that they had just opened to protect themselves. And uh, at, at this point, the farmers spilled out, the uh, activists resumed entering the building um, they were eventually several of them were, were pulled out. Uh, we've reports again that uh, you know one individual that was uh, pulled out by the hair uh, and some shoved uh, and so on. So there's allegations that have to be looked at. Now, um, uh, the 
one thing that concerned me mostly, though, that when we look at the reasonable force, okay, so they were pulling these individuals out, stopping them from entering the building. This is something that for the courts will have to look at in, in, in that as well. There was one alarming situation that arose from view, my viewing that, that, that footage, and that was at one point there's an older gentleman with gray hair and uh, dressed in black, uh, one of the farmers, who was successful in injecting a couple of, of uh, the inside team and uh, he then stepped back into the barn very briefly behind the closed door, came back out immediately and stood straight up in front of the door beside the other farmer. And he had a large brick in his right hand with it extended down to his waist side. And at that very moment, there was an escalation. And as they, the, the, you know, the activists were repeatedly stating, we're peaceful, we're peaceful, we're peaceful. All the police were not leaving. So they made their objectives very clear to these individuals. And with the incident escalating, probably several of them, or at least one individual saw the brick. And that individual walked up to that man in a non-confrontational manner with his hands up raised above the side of his head as to, with palms open, to gesture that, I'm peaceful, I need to talk to 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 you. There was a brief, very brief conversation between that activist and that gentleman who was holding the brick. And within seconds, de-escalated the situation with the conversation the individual dropped the brick and um, that was very shocking to see so when we get back to the main question certainly the the police it is under their purview and they do have the onus is on them really in their impartial and complete investigation into this matter because the evidence and the, that they're collecting it should be the totality of the incident. The whole, and the totality is the whole thing. And that's not just, you know, the actions of of the activists, but also to look at exactly what exactly happened, what were some of the confrontations, and because what could happen is the farm owners could be looking at, well, I was assaulted, and this is what happened. So I would expect, and I would hope at some point in time, that the police start making inquiries with respect to that. Now, I know that the police are in a position that they they don't want to uh, infringe on on the activists' rights with respect to providing statements, and the activists want to be very cautious as to speaking to the police. But it seems to me there's got to be some even ground, or this is something that, you know, if when it comes to the time that uh, charges are approved, that, you know, there's some, you know, the, 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 the lawyers representing individuals will be bringing these matters up. So, Again, in short, definitely the Abbotsford Police Department should be looking at all of the footage that's available, and hopefully, you know, in, or if there's a request for footage, they may they may seek warrants. But there's so much open source material now, online and within the media, but in particular, open source that is not where our privacy settings for the shares are set to public that anybody can view them. So we would expect that we would see the Abbotsford Police will be collecting that that information. There's nothing to say that you know, I'm working myself in the sense that I'm I'm watching and collecting all this in, information. And who knows? Maybe at some point in time, I might be coming forward to the Abbotsford PD as to where things uh, do they have this information? Do they want this information? And what the response is? And just uh, you know, even backtracking a little bit, the whole again the totality of the event. You are definitely an asset to the animal rights community with your background as an RCMP officer. And and for that, I'm grateful. We do need to make sure that we are always acting within the law as much as possible, except for in this case where, where activists did choose to break the law and 
do you do you want to comment on that because there've been a, there's been a lot of pushback from the general public about how activists went about this the wrong way you don't expose uh what's going on to animals by breaking the law you should have found another way to do it is what i've been hearing a lot of what do you have to say to that what i have to say to that that's the only time that things seems to change and uh you want to label us whistleblowers yes we are blowing the whistle loudly on this industry that uh that has operated in total secrecy the public has a right to know all of this when we talk about uh, you know briefly again on on yeah what we're seeing as some of the feedback and people's comments on the other hand we've had contact with some individuals that in their initial statements or their approach towards us they were spitting nails about this trespassing and break and enter and then when they saw some of the footage they apologized for that and and said that as we all do i had no idea this was going on if i would have known that this was going on and we've had people from the footage itself have said I'm done with that. I will not participate in this industry that is doing these, this with these animals. So right. certainly I think there, there's a focus right now with respect to the law being broken or which has to be proven but you know plainly we, we see that there were there you know they came onto the property they they, they entered buildings uh, the elements of the offense of, of, of break and enter uh, and, and trespassing and so on are, are being gathered by the police uh, and as an investigator myself you know there, there's there's a certain degree of elements that are being met but again Will the, will the Crown Council approve the charges based on, is it in the public interest to charge them, and is there a likelihood of conviction on it? And then again, we touched on with the, some of the other uh, other trials that have been going on. But uh, so, yeah, to those that are, are talking about and more worried about the trespass, have a look at the footage. Please look at those images. Please look at the video. Please look at the photographs. And interestingly enough, well, to I'll close with this, that uh, we're hearing the the messaging from this uh, Excelsior farm talking about this is a family farm and this is where our family lives. Their entry even onto the property, they took a wide berth from that house. It's not like they, you know, they, they went through the front door of the house and out the back door to get to the barns. They, they were at a great distance from that resident at all times. If that's a family farm, and this is what they're portraying as a family farm, that's incorrect and not accurate. It's family-owned, yes. That is a factory farm. In fact, that's a castle. When you look at the images of the, the row upon row and looking down the distance, it's like when you look at one of those photos that has a mirror attached to it. Oh, absolutely. And all you, and all you can see is depth of the repeated image. Right. There's some photos that show people just how many pigs are held in those small crates at, you know, for, 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 for their whole, for a good portion of their lives. So if that's a family farm, well, it's not what they're trying to, to portray to the public. It, it certainly is not that. It's a concentrated uh, animal, uh, you know, farming uh, operation. And, you know, another thing that the farmers are saying is that the activists potentially put their herd at a safety risk. And, I mean, that is absolutely ridiculous. The activists were wearing hazmat suits and put their booties on just before entering the barn. The farmers went into the barn without any of that protective gear. And how can you tell me that that is a 
sterile and safe environment for animals. They had open wounds that were not being treated. Uh, don't try to tell me that you're concerned about the uh, health and safety of a facility that is that filthy. No, and in that, I got a you know a short answer to you know your comment and question on that, and what the farmers have said worried about the animals. They're not worried about the animals. They're worried about their profit. Yes. They're worried about the viability as a commodity and as a as a production unit solely. They're they're worried about poundage of, of bacon and sausage <laughs> and ham. Exactly. That's what they're worried about. Right. That's the only thing they're worried about. Yeah. It was tough to watch them acting like victims <laughs> yeah. after that incident. You know, and then in closing, we would love nothing more than not to have to do what we're doing right now and go about our, our lives. There are uh, <coughs> people in this movement that are from all walks of life that essentially, in, in quite a high percentage, are putting other things on hold to move this along and educate the public. And when we see signs in a barn where they, they claim transparency and this is they present to the public that restricted media tour... Um, then you see a sign, and this is ironic too, we have reporters that are going in, the cameramans, and I'm glad that we were able to, to negotiate that and get them in there. There was a missed opportunity because there's one photograph, and we will be distributing this, where the, the, you know, the cameramen and reporters are walking through one door, and right above their heads, and again, very oddly, because they're tucking down to, to go through the door, and I'm not sure maybe even drew their attention, but there's a sign above that door that says, what happens in the barn stays in the barn. And if you look in the dictionary as to what that saying relates to, that's with respect to Las Vegas, Sin City, and salacious and sinful behavior happening that you don't want anybody else to know about. You got it. So it flies in the face as to what they're always talking about. Put up this closed-circuit TV cameras everywhere. Get an inspection, a, a true independent inspection agency. We've got Amnesty International. I think it's time for Animal Amnesty International to be created if we don't have a larger body like that. I know we've got lots of groups working at it, but uh, we need to be able to have authorities to draw, knock on a door, somebody to knock on a door and say, hi, we're here, and not industry-related and not industry-connected. And not a date that has been predetermined and told to farmers, no. unannounced. And you know what? It, the best thing they could do is use laypersons that uh, you could have a rotating schedule of, hi, I'm John Q. Public, I'm a father of five, I live in this area, and I'm curious about this, I want to see. And then, of course, because you would want to be gathering some stuff. But that's a whole other topic. Right. I mean, really, ideally, as I said to uh, a good friend of the family who owns this farm, who, who pulled up his truck next to me on the road to discuss this with me, I said, we are not looking for animal welfare to be improved. We are looking for abolition of animal use for right. food and clothing and products and everything else. He kept telling me I needed to go to the pork board and, and get them to have higher standards. And I said, you're not understanding our message. We are vegans. There is no need for this at all. And I can't imagine what you think I think is acceptable for animals. I'm not looking for bigger cages or grassy fields for these pigs to be eventually murdered. It's completely unnecessary. It's causing disease. It's, it's causing a lot of environmental destruction to farm animals. And we don't have much time left to turn this around for humanity's continued existence on this planet. This is something that is an emergency. 
No. I, um, we're good friends with Dr. Celeste Rowe, who is the producer of, of Cowspiracy and What the Health, and he worked on Al Gore's uh, film Inconvenient Truth. And there was a recent study that just popped up this week with respect to the, lo- to the loss of, of, uh, of wildlife. The statistics on that as to the loss from, from uh, 1970 to now, comparison between, you know, from, from when things were pristine uh, to then industrialization and to the degree that we've lost these, these you know, the, the, you know the, the percentage of what we've lost. And from, you know, I, I, I'll, I would like to, to provide you with a link if possible. I'll dig that up. But uh, it's very sobering and people need to, to realize that what's going on here, because as, as Dr. Rowe stated, he says, you know, we are right now seeing the collapse of several ecosystems. And once we lose them all, or even those that we have lost, we cannot reconstruct them, reconstruct them like we did with Humpty Dumpty. You know, it's not going to happen. Right. So, and this is happening now. Right. Yeah, it's ironic that the farmer that I just spoke of, who was a good friend of the family, also asked me my opinion on the fact that we were causing fear in the children of the family because people have been gaining access to their farm and how frightening that would be for them. And, you know, what you just said makes me think I should have said something like, well, maybe the children should be more worried about the fact that their future on the planet when we've got people that think we need to continue farming and destroying their future on this planet. Yeah. And, and also, I, I actually did say this to him. I said, I think the children should be more afraid of their parents than us when you look at what their parents are okay with doing to animals. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I just dug up that. So there's EcoWatch. Dot com put out uh, the you know a summary of this study. Uh, humanity it's titled "Humanity Sleepwalking Towards the Edge of the Cliff." Sixty percent of Earth's wildlife wiped out since uh, 1970. And I, I'd like to quote Selesh. If people aren't aware of his work, a lot of the things is that you know everybody's familiar with the health and conspiracy, and they they, they, they know Kip, uh, the director, but they a lot of people don't know who this individual is, Celeste Rowe is, he invented, he was one of the inventors of the internet. Okay. And his, his concept right now, he realizes that the power of uh, uh, just how they develop the internet and what it's capable of doing now will work in our favor towards veganism. And in fact, he kind of had an aha moment a few years ago when he was looking at his granddaughter and felt that I now know why what happened happened with the internet and it's going to be a tool. So he clarified on that study, he stated, this is his statement, he says, please note that it is a 60% decline uh, in wildlife being woke, uh, wiped out since 1970, which is already a 60% decline from pristine levels that existed 10,000 years ago. Therefore, the wildlife biomass that we've seen decline since 70 by 84% in 2014 compared to the pristine levels, which is why these ecosystems, as he says, around the world are either collapsing or teetering on the brink of collapse. And once we wipe out our entire ecosystems, it is difficult to put them back together a la Humpty Dumpty. And he closes, we are killing the planet for cheeseburgers and corporate-run governments that don't care. Well, thank you for sharing that. I will definitely put the link in the web post. 
And just one more thing, recently, well, just this morning, we found out that charges against Ontario activist Jenny McQueen have been dropped. And for those who don't know, Jenny broke into a pig breeding facility to document the horrific cruelty and also stole a piglet to take to sanctuary. And uh, activists are obviously rejoicing today. And our local activists are wondering what this means for their future criminally. So what are your thoughts on this great news? Well, I think it's wonderful, and in fact, I was just watching that uh, pop up on the feeds, uh, and Jenny Queen is on her li- her her pages. Uh, she was the individual that was charged, uh, and uh, the scene was on the courthouse's steps in London, and it was quite uh, quite wonderful news. And uh, I certainly breathe a sigh of relief because this is the second trial now where we've had charges dropped against an activist. Uh, the first one, of course, the, 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 the historical case against Anita Krantz several years ago uh, for feeding pigs. Now we've had uh, a second incident or a different type of incident, actually more serious than just giving water to the pigs in the trucks. We've had somebody go onto a property, remove a pig, and those charges now have been dropped. It's, it's tremendous. Now, it's, it's interesting to note that... Um, uh, we know, or we know, I shouldn't say that. We, we suspect that, uh, and, and it's pretty, it's pretty uh, evident that uh, there, there's always political pressure uh, with respect to, uh, and, and industry pressure and, and, and personal interest pressure when, when these uh, charges are laid. And of course, uh, uh, the property owners within its rights or their rights to, to go ahead with, with, with charges. We do know that that happens a lot where there's, the, you know, there, there's people who will say, well, no, you need to, you should, to, you have to charge these people to, to ensure this doesn't happen. In the future, but um, now we have to consider that is, uh, is industry looking at uh, the facts that uh, with Jenny's. Uh, I'll start with Jenny's. Uh, you know, uh, withdrawal charges being withdrawn this morning. Is it a sign that uh, that industry does not want these charges and these facts going onto the public record with the current? laws in place because those laws are not totally applicable for the intention of uh, the actions of our activists. We're, we're not going in there to, to, to outright commit, um, you know, uh, uh, something grievous against somebody or, or, or damaging or, or, or now that's debatable again because they, they consider animals property. So there's a theft of property, but we're talking about a living being that we're trying to intervene. So uh, it's all very, very interesting. And then what that means for us again here, we'll be watching that. And, and it is it a fact, though, that go ahead, please proceed with the charges, because that appears to be right now the only way that we will get officially on public record all of the evidence and all of the images that we've compiled, especially in this historical Meet the Victims lockdown here the first in Canada, that we have the evidence of what was happening in that barn. There was PETA also had some footage, and that is being, uh, you know, rebuted by by the property owner, where, you know, they they are saying, well, possibly the PETA footage wasn't of their barn alone. So if we were to go to trial, you know, the enter, the, the, you know, everything is entered in in evidence, they've made conclusions that uh, it would... They can't suck and blow at the same time because we would be able to have further evidence and further documentation of what happened and what is happening in their barn. Right. And, um, yeah. it, it might not be in their best interest to be having us being given the platform. So I think all in all, again, the short answer to the question too, what does it mean for us and what does it mean for this group of, of uh, 45 individuals? Uh, again, Tariq, it, 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 bides, it, it bides well, I think, as to... Um, Will they go ahead with charges? Will they approve charges? And if they do approve charges, um, then um, 
they certainly will get everything entered into court, and it's still questionable whether there'll be a conviction. Now, the bar that Crown relies on is that there are public interest to lay the charges, and is there a likelihood, uh, you know, a strong likelihood of conviction as a result of the evidence brought forward? And those two bars are very, very high uh, to, to meet. So it's going to be all very interesting, but all in all, this is fantastic news. The news uh, has been uh, relayed to, to the whole group. Uh, we do know that we had one individual. Uh, all 45 were arrested, uh, however, and, and released at the scene with instructions that they would be contacted in the future, possibly either to be advised as to what is happening or their next contact with police would be uh, with the receipt of a summons for a court appearance. And there's one individual, a uh, young lady, that uh, was served with documentation. Uh, you know, like I said, you know, it's on public record now. Amy Serrano was, was, was arrested and detained further and brought to the detachment. And she was the only one that attended and, and uh, served with a promise to appear with a court date, I believe, uh, in July, and for fingerprinting and, and released on conditions. And uh, we'll look into what the conditions that were, 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 were imposed on her to see if those are reasonable as well. But um, that's where we stand with it right now. But with Genevieve Queens, the charges being withdrawn against her, it, um, I think it bides uh, well for, for our cause. Well, your experience as a former RCMP officer is definitely an asset to our animal rights community. And I thank you so much for taking the time to give us this valuable information today. And I know we will have you on the show again. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you. It's all about uh, victimization, and it, uh, you know, with my what I've been doing for a living, is uh, that it's ingrained to me to uh, to know what victimization is, to and to know what uh, what violence is. And now uh, I've transferred that to, to all species, and, and we have to uh, we have to look at this and then come to normalizing non-violence in our society instead of normalizing violence. Thank oh, you. I'm so proud to call you a dear friend. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for everything you guys do. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. I just think it's so great that we have a retired RCMP officer on our side. How unique is that? And obviously quite useful as well for those who want to remain um, activists who don't break yeah. the law. And then, of course, he's he's in support of the ones that are going against our laws that are completely inhumane and, and, right. and advising them as well on how to be safe. So, you know, the 50 of us inside people who went on the property, we, we occupied that barn for six hours and... And right away, there was, as soon as we entered in, we had a request, a demand, which was that we would leave once the media arrived. And it took hours for the farm to allow the media in. And there were speculations that it was only because they had to get ready for uh, for this media tour that you saw a little bit of it on stations like CTV and CBC and so forth. Mm -hmm. Not that much in the tour. I saw them doing the tour and it looked just like it was, he was doing like a school field trip. It was like, and this is where we do this and this is where we do this and the pigs can move around easily. It was really, it was really sad. But anyways, I, I just wanted to, to mention that, you know, we knew might face possible arrest, but we were kind of shocked when it happened. 50 of us, all 50 of us inside were arrested with break and enter and possible mischief and trespassing. Only one person was charged and taken into custody, but the rest of us will hear if the Crown Council decides to place charges in about a month, I believe. So 
was it worth it to put our lives on the line to get arrested? As I said, we were all aware that was possible. And Jen, I wonder if you can speak about the Martin Luther King Jr. quote that um, we Martin had on Luther our King Jr. Yeah. quote that was on the back of the t-shirts. Yes, I have that. I'm just reading from our web post on animalvoices.org. In his 1963 letter from a Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King Jr. wrote, One may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. I would be the first to advocate obeying just laws. One has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. So that's end quote there. And uh, what a perfect and fitting quote to be on the back of the t-shirts and I really would love to know the actual thoughts of the farmers when they read that because I know deep down we're all compassionate and I know deep down they know that this is wrong. Exactly. I I was thinking that myself that when or if they see these videos, multiple videos and photos that were taken at that time at the farm, you can see the live videos, you can see the GPS location and the timestamp and that cannot be denied. Everyone knew we were in there. They saw us in there. That can't be denied. And I would like to know what the farmers think about this because honestly, the comments that they were giving the media, I found to be quite a Pollen. In fact, Ray Benedict, the farmer, was quoted in the media as saying, it's a very hard industry and it's fun. We love what we do. And we're very, very saddened by the fact that we were implicated as bad people when we are not. So this is something that we hear from farmers all the time. I've been doing activism every single day for the past six years, and I can't even count how many times I've heard this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if that is how you define love, would you treat your wife that way? Would you treat your children that way and still call it love? Exactly. And I was even thinking further through that last night when I was working on this, I was thinking if you saw a small child being abused, would you help that child? If mm-hmm. you saw if you saw a dog or a cat being mutilated and kept on kept in a prison, would you help that dog or cat? Right. So why wouldn't we do the same? And the reason that we we risked arrest is because the only way that social change happens is when concerned citizens speak up and act against the status quo that has been shown in history. And I really feel that the only way we can open hearts and minds to the atrocities that take place to provide us with so-called food and to realize that these atrocities are not in alignment with our ethics for general compassion to all living beings. And I'd like to discuss a bit why it's important to question the media and the messages of the ag industry. Your interviews today, Jen, I know you did a lot of research because you were seeing all of these mistruths and inaccuracies coming out in the media or just quotes that were being said by the farmer and the vet. And you wanted to know what was what's the rational response to that? And you you got those responses. And I really hope that our listeners can identify with that because often in the media, we just saw the farmer give his claim as to how he's so hurt and dismayed that he's being made out to look like a bad person. A criminal, he said. Yeah, criminal. And I, I would like to say that, you know, if I don't know that the vet said that this farm has met all care and code of practice requirements and that this farm is an industry leader 
in animal welfare. And I, I take issue to that. Well, first of all, it isn't possible to farm animals without cruelty. So even if we did improve animal welfare standards, which isn't going to happen with an increasing population and demand for animal products, it's just not possible. How how are you going to raise someone, even if you massage them to death? They're dying. They don't want to die. They don't get a choice in the matter. Mm -hmm. And you know that's not how they're going to be killed. They're going to be violently slaughtered no matter how they're raised. And, And prior to that, there just has to be manipulations done to their bodies. And they're painful. And and no, people aren't going to be giving these animals pain relief before they do things like cutting off their tails and cutting off their testicles. Yeah. It's it's a supply and demand. These animals are treated as commodities, and we just need to decrease the demand by going vegan. It's as simple as that. And I just want to address something else that you mentioned a second ago. As far as I'm not going to blame mainstream media for getting the message out incorrectly because what I witnessed on on the outside of the farm on Sunday was I was with the media. There were about 12 different media organizations there and I was representing Animal Voices while kind of straddling the fence and also being an activist but I was privy to conversations that are concerning and so the activists demanded that the media come in. The activists called the media ahead of time as part of this entire event. That's true. They were not invited by the farmers. It was it was a condition given by the activists that were in the farm. We are not leaving until you let the right. media in. That was their entire strategy. And this has been portrayed by the media as they were invited onto the farm. And I can see why, and you may not know about this. The police were liaising with us, the media, out front of the farm in, uh, I guess, going back and forth, probably speaking to the farmers and the vets. And so we were there for seven hours while these negotiations mm-hmm. took place. And I was trying to gain all that I could. And so we were initially put on a 12-person long media approved list who would be able to go onto the farm. We had to prove that we were media with business cards, which I did. And then hours later, we were told, we kept being told any minute now you'll be going onto the farm, which didn't happen. And it was very strange. And then all of a sudden, the list had to be decreased to just six. And you should have seen the drama that ensued amongst the media, because of course, now everybody's fighting about who gets to go. I I would imagine. I, I, I heard that the farmer didn't want certain media in, so that's why he did well, not I was allow just about in. to talk about that. And so a lot of the mainstream media are a two-person pair. You've got the camera person, and then you have the person who's going to be doing the interview. And so that really didn't help because as soon as those people got approved, that would take two people out of the six. And so there was a lot of arguing and one person got sent through and rejected immediately. And so we said, well, that's not fair. The The deal was six people. So now you have to send in uh, an activist uh, media representative such as Jane Unchained, which has a, a very large reach, or Animal Voices, somebody to represent the truth who might be asking some questions that mainstream media won't ask. And they wouldn't let us. And then the wow. other thing I want to say is that the media that did get in were told that they are not to be producing a biased story. That was a condition that was given to them. They had to promise that. I think it's biased. I, I mean, think all the every, stories are every biased. media is biased. We know yeah. this. But I think what they were trying to say, Allison, is don't come in here asking too many questions and don't be putting out a story that doesn't make us look good. I can't say for sure that was what they meant, but that's a very strange thing as a condition, don't you think? Yeah, it's it's unfair. I can't even believe they would go with that condition because media are supposed to get the whole story and be unbiased. And to be quite honest, uh, I haven't watched the Jane and Change yet. She's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Moskala was 
doing that and uh, and I know she would take a great perspective but she was on the outside but if you watch any I mean we were the media inside there too watch our live Facebook videos there's many of us who have taken them a lot of them posted them on Instagram and as, and as I've said before like these videos and these images do not lie mm-hmm. they tell the truth so when any farmer or vet is denying that the vet said this farm is clean and, I, and I'm telling you, this farm was like, it was dank with feces and urine and miscarriages and it was not clean. Well, I'm very concerned that the College of Veterinarians of BC allows any vet to get away with that kind of uh, statement. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess what we want to leave you with is to do your own research. Don't trust the mainstream media. Check your facts, check your resources, try to get a wide variety of info and open your hearts and minds to see the message that we're trying to convey here and all the other activists because this is why we did this. Yes, please go to Animal Voices Vancouver to see the activist videos and um, pictures from the farm that you probably will not be seeing on mainstream media. Right. So now, if you have been inspired by our show today and you feel like going vegan, I've got an event for you. Vancouver Vegan Festival is honored to bring the Ottawa International Vegan Film Festival to Vancouver. I love documentaries. They have been a reason why I've created significant change in my life. So please come to this. It is a trailblazing event dedicated to celebrating the vegan ideal, a healthier, compassionate, environmentally friendly lifestyle that can be achieved through the consumption of plants and animal-free alternatives. Join us for a night of award-winning film viewing surrounding veganism, vegan snacks available for purchase from urban leaf plant-based foods, Eat the Dishes, Blue Heron Creamery, our famous cheese shop, Say Hello Sweet, beer and wine service, and guest speakers, Indian Rock Vegans, one of whom we had on the show today, Dan, the former RCMP officer. And they are also featured in the documentary Eating You Alive, which is one of the festival films. The Film Fest takes place Thursday, May the 9th, 6 to 9.30 at the York Theatre on Commercial Drive. Tickets can be purchased from Eventbrite. Search Vancouver Vegan Festival on there. We will also post information on our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver, and I will be there. I would love to see you, and please definitely bring your non-vegan friends. We want to make converts out of this event. Right. And speaking of making converts, we'd like to talk to you now about an event coming up this weekend. Veg Expo is coming to Vancouver this Sunday, May the 5th. It's Vancouver's premier vegan lifestyle event. And it's growing and growing every year with 20,000 attendees in 2018. The mission of Veg Expo is to connect with people of all stages of their plant-based journey. And I think they do that well. This year's event will feature 200 exhibitors of plant-based products and services and a wide array of speakers presenting on a variety of topics from vegan beauty to animal rights activism to health and wellness to vegan fitness. At 1 p.m., there will be a Veg Talk panel consisting of well-known vegan athletes Tori Washington and our friend Dominic Thompson, plus fitness expert John Lewis and raw foods expert and celebrity Johnny Juicer. Maybe he'll bring along his cute little dog Noah. We, Animal Voices, will be there to do some live video coverage on our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver. So once again, this all takes place this Sunday, May the 5th at the Vancouver Convention Center West from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And you can buy your tickets at vegexpo.ca or you can perhaps win a pair of tickets here 
now on the Animal Voices show, and they're worth $40. As you know, Vancouver Co-op Radio is now amidst our spring member drive. We are an all-volunteer and donor-supported radio station, and our mandate is to provide a voice for those who are underrepresented in the mainstream media, and that's exactly what we've done today. We spent a lot of time and energy this week researching, writing, and editing to present this show for you, to give you authentic journalism that goes beyond the surface story of what everyone else is saying. If you support the work we do here at Animal Voices at Vancouver Co-op Radio, now is the time to help. And as a gift for our first donor from now who contributes a donation of at least $40, that's the value of the tickets, we will send you a pair of tickets to attend the Veg Expo this weekend. What a deal, right? And not only that, but we have a donor now who is doubling all donations from now until May 6th and at the end of our member drive. So your $40 will actually be $80 and you'll get some free tickets as well. We do rely on your donations to keep this show on the air. Call 604 604- 684-8494 right now to make your donation to be eligible for the free tickets or you can go to co-op radio and click on donate now so once again the phone number is 604-684-8494 or just go to cooperadio.org and click on donate now but i think you should call us to be eligible for the ticket win because we want to know right away who is our first donor remember to indicate on your donation that it's going towards animal voices if you're in canada your donations are tax deductible also we appreciate donations of any amount every little bit helps so we thank you for your assistance in helping alternative animal rights media stay on the air You have been listening to the Animal Voices Radio Show on 100.5 FM Co-op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Please join us on next week's show on May the 10th. We here at Animal Voices modestly ask you to keep connected with Animal Voices via the World Wide Web. Our past shows can be listened to on our website at animalvoices.org. All of our past podcasts are also available to listen to on iTunes and Google Play. And join our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver. To close the show, we are going to play the song that our friends on the outside team were singing for us as we exited the barn and farm property after being arrested last Sunday and came back to our freedom. We left behind, though, many individuals who will never see their freedom. This is the Liberation Song as composed by Ernesto Melkor and performed by the Meet the Victims Canada activists at last Sunday's action on April the 28th. Please enjoy this heartfelt performance. Stay tuned now for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thank you so much for listening to Animal Voices today. And remember to be kind to the animals. Oh, yeah!